So one of my closest friends tells of an impish childhood, facing his parents' discipline, whether after a homework assignment not turned in, a skirmish with his sister, or a fly ball through the living room window. They would ask him, how did this happen? Did you do this? To which he would reply, yes but that was when I was younger. <laughs> it never fails when we tease each other about this to turn frustration into laughter because this is an excuse that is adorably employed in order to make an opportunity to say no harm, no foul, no matter how recent the challenge was. And so we test its range among us. You're right, I might say. I was texting while we were talking on the phone, but that was when I was younger. Perhaps because of how ridiculous it is, it always works. Taken literally, it would be a spectacularly bad way to approach our wrongs. After all, even the worst things that any of us have ever done share one indelible truth. We did them when we were younger. But back in April, I had an interaction that made me look again at my friend's childhood plea and convinced me that I did that when I was younger is not just an excuse, it is a phrase that all of us could use more of in this new year. In April, we got a notice about a video course being offered by a well-known organization for Jewish literacy and learning taught by one of our favorite scholars, Micha Goodman. It was, the, it was perfect for the moment about Israel's greatest thinkers and their most enduring debates. Micha had already taught in our own programming here. So Amy Klein, our resident Hartman guru, called him to ask if we should add this pre-recorded series too. His response took us by surprise. Well, so here's the thing, he said. I did that when I was younger. <laughs> Much younger, it turns out. He had recorded this series nearly a decade before. Of course, nothing had changed about Herzl or Rav Kook or Jabotinsky or Ben Gurion. But much, Micha explained, had changed about him. I've evolved since then, he said. I'm not exactly the same person. Micha named a truth that is universal to us all, but we seldom embrace. Our experiences change us, sometimes in small ways, sometimes so much that we don't even recognize the opinions or ideas of the person that we were before. Think back 
in your own life, would the you of 20 years ago have expected the you that you became? Do you like the same music? Do you have the same opinions? Do you stay out as late at night? We so often shy away from that with embarrassment. But what if we could shift in our lives? What if we could shift our frame to embrace that as a source of strength? As the old expression goes, if you ever find yourself cringing at something you did in the past, it means that you have grown. What would it look like if we could apply what Carol Dweck popularized and educators everywhere loud as a growth mindset to our lives and to the lives of others? If instead of failure, we saw, to use her phrase, a first attempt in learning. If instead of canceling others, for something that they did or said long ago, we got curious about where they are right now. If instead of saying, I can't call that friend again because of what happened last time, we reframe. I learned something last time that can help me to do better today. At a time when there is so much pain in our world, from Maui to Morocco to our own homes, why raise this on our holiest of days? Because I believe that it's the point of what we're all doing here. And because psychological study after psychological study has shown that it is only when we give ourselves and others the compassion to see that what we did is not always what we need to do, that we can truly change ourselves and our world for the better. Every year, I wonder about our choice of Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah. Sure, there's a solid start with the miraculous birth, but if you are choosing an inspiring text to start out this new year, would you select a story of a mother so caught up in her own joys and grievances that she exiles another mother and young son? And even if you did that, would you end with a long, dense, and seemingly disconnected story about a covenant where Avimelech turns to Abraham, our Abraham, and says, swear to me you will not lie? Excuse me? A core principle a biblical interpretation is that if someone insists on confirming, you won't lie to me, right? We have to ask ourselves, why is he worried? All it takes is a cursory glance to see that Avimelech had a clear and obvious basis for concern. Think back. Abraham did not 
always tell the full truth. Abraham did lie about Sarah twice. Why call that unflattering memory back into our minds right now, today? Because in this coda to our Rosh Hashanah service, right when we assume that we're well past the real action, is a concrete template for the exponential growth that we are all looking for today. How so? Yes, Abraham did lie, but that was when he was younger. Today, he doesn't argue or obfuscate. He doesn't deny or deflect. He confronts his failing honestly, reconciles with his past humbly, and in so doing, crafts a different future. So can we. Author Harville Hendricks carries around a notebook in his pocket. The origin of that notebook is hard won. Years ago, he was on the threshold of divorce. He and his wife, Helen, had racked up so much frustration and anger that it felt like they couldn't even say good morning without sparking an argument. Whereas when they first met, all they wanted to do was be together. Now all he wanted to do was flee. This is hard on any marriage. But Harville and Helen happened to be famous marriage counselors. Their books have sold more than 4 million copies worldwide, and they have personally counseled countless couples. So this was not a small problem. They first turned to other therapists who affirmed their own research. A key component of healing in any relationship is the ability to understand with empathy what shaped the other person's actions, what old fears or failings or frustrations your partner is filtering today's experiences through. The science was sound, but like most people, their go-to move in the heat of the argument was not exactly, I totally get why you would react that way. Ah, I understand. It's because of how you were made to feel by Mrs. Murphy in kindergarten. There was, for them, a missing first step. Nothing could change, they realized, until they accepted of the other that they could change. She may have nagged, but that didn't make her a nag. He may not have tidied up, but he's not just an obnoxious jerk who always leaves him socks in front of the hamper. They could change. George Bernard Shaw once famously quipped that the only sensible man he knew was his tailor because everybody he met assumed that he would be just the same, but his tailor measured him every time. Harville and Helen realized they had to be like that tailor 
And so they imposed upon themselves a rule. No matter how justified by their spouse's actions, and sometimes they felt it was justified, no put-downs allowed for 30 days. Try this at home. No, oh, so you've decided to do the dishes tonight for once. No, how come you always fill in the blank? Whatever the other had done before, even if it was just moments before, that was then, this is now. They called their experiment the zero negativity challenge. And it worked, mostly. It turns out that in relationships, not just in marriage, in any relationship, you can't just take away the bad. That's necessary, but not sufficient. You have to add something good. And so they had another idea. Every morning, they would force themselves to look at each other and say three nice things. Also try this at home. <laughs> Harvell reflects that some days were so forced that all he could muster was a, honey, your hair looks nice. But he kept going. Three nice things each and every day, which led to the notebook. Helen's biggest complaint about Harville was that he didn't pay attention. He didn't put her first, and that had become their fixed narrative. And it frustrated him to hear of all the things he hadn't done. Who, after all, likes to hear about all the things we haven't done? And so he bought himself a small notebook. Without telling Helen what he was doing, at the end of the day, he asked her, is there anything I can do for you tomorrow? And he took notes. The next morning, he started ticking off her list. And the next night, he asked again. And then the night after that, and the night after that, until much sooner than they expected, they couldn't recognize the estranged individuals who had routinely hurt each other so deeply. I did that when I was younger is not just a comfort or a quip, it is a challenge. It in no way excuses us from responsibility. In fact, it obligates us more deeply. If you say, I did that when I was younger, the question naturally arises, okay, so now that you're older, now that you've learned what will you do? The question is so important because that's a question that each of us must answer, not just today, but 
every day. In fact, today we say that that is the whole point. Today is the birthday of the world. Hayom harat olam. Rabbi Gordon Tucker argues that phrase might more accurately be translated, today the world is pregnant with possibility. In other words, today, like Harville, we are on the precipice of a choice. Will we see ourselves and others as stuck by what we did? Or will we shift our frame to create new conditions, to chart a new path? Will we shore ourselves up in defensiveness? Or will we summon the humility as Abraham before us to change? Today invites us to start our own notebooks. If I was dismissive, that does not mean that I can't listen with love right now. If I struggled with my drinking, it doesn't mean I can't set down this cup. If I was impulsive and hurt someone I care about yesterday, that doesn't mean I can't do better today. Our past does not define our future. When do we stop saying, I did that when I was younger? This season suggests that the answer is never. Every minute of every day of every year, we are learning, which means we and those around us are still growing. Even in this very second, we still have time. Take this moment to forgive yourself, to commit yourself. Whatever you carried with you in the door this morning, that was when you were younger. Now, what are you going to do about it today? Shana Tova. We rise.